This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. This is The Drive Home with Harry Waters, and today I have a wonderful guest here to talk with me um, about some of the gaps uh, that are missing in the entry-level certificates. So, I tend not to introduce my guests because I know I can always miss something. And I don't want to miss something because I know that we've worked hard our entire teaching lives to get everything in there. So, Louise, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi. Um, hello. Hey, everyone. Um, my name is Louise. Um, I'm, I'm obviously an ELT teacher. Um, I've been teaching now, I think like I think you said before, I think we're about the same, about 15, 16 years now. Um, I've been very lucky to work in lots of great places and I've managed to travel as a result of the job. Um, and over time, I've worked my way up um, into being like coordinator, academic manager and now um, teacher trainer as well. Um, so teaching, teacher training, a bit of project management as well and all the other things that go into into the ELT world and, you know, all the different avenues that we can pursue, which is great. Um, and where have you been? Where have I been? Where haven't I been? No, um, <laughs> I've been very, no, I've been very fortunate. I got into it, I think, like many people do. Um, not really sure if it was for me long term, but knowing that I had studied languages at university and knowing that it was a good fit for me post-university, um, I thought I was interested in teaching and I thought I'd actually maybe go back to the UK to do it. Um, but ELT offered me opportunity to go and actually live in countries where I wanted to live, especially speaking of the other languages that I'd been learning. So um, I started off in Italy and then I moved to Slovakia. Um, I've been to Syria. I've been to Vietnam. Jordan and work myself back through to Europe where I'm now in Portugal so a bit of a world tour but I've missed out the Americas but it's been really great and I'm quite privileged to have to have been to all these places and lived there. Whereabouts are you in Portugal? Uh, I'm in the north I'm in Porto right now so um, it's it's fairly cold and <laughs> stormy weathers today. Yeah, you're you're not not that far away, but also not particularly close. Um, I'm down in the south of Spain, so in fact, you're you're a whole hour behind me. You're you're on UK time, aren't you? Yeah, we are, which is a bit odd because obviously, um, you know, if, if I just want to travel to Spain, I just travel north of to Galicia, and I can be there in you know an hour, and I have to go forward an hour. So it is a little bit strange at times, but it's it's helpful for contacting family back home in the UK. We, it's because we live in the future here in, in Spain, <laughs> really, even though really. even though technically we're on exactly the same you know timeline that the meridian runs through Spain. Um, oh wow, I see that um, that Tom Rogers is actually teaching an online school in Vigo tomorrow. That's amazing. Galicia not, is is really lovely. Um, and not far from me at all. It's only about an hour is Vigo. Oh, Not wow. that I actually know the area very well. I won't lie. I've been in I've been in Port, unfortunately, most of it for the during the pandemic. So um I'm just kind of biding my time and waiting for, you know, the opportunity to go and travel and see a bit more. Okay, not online school, Castro British school, but online teaching. Okay. Sorry, Tom. Um online te- yeah, it's it's that's one of the beauties of uh, that has o- the pandemic has opened up, is this online. Uh, this online teaching. In fact, on on Friday, I'll be 
I'll be teaching in India, um, oh. which to I'll be doing a, a guest lecture at an Indian university, uh, which is going to be interesting to say the least. Um, have you found avenues, um, new avenues since the since the pandemic, or have your avenues continued as previously? Do you know what I'd say? They've I'd say they've shut down. Well, no, no. <laughs> that would be no um in terms of work like I, I felt quite I was very lucky that I was I say prepared for the pandemic that's that's not really that's not quite true but like in terms of work I was because um look I was fortunate enough that when I worked in Jordan we were already teaching online so I was teaching via everyone's popular zoom <laughs> provider um that was not like it was not completely new to me and I think that that was really um useful you know um it meant there was a lot less stress for me personally having to get online and teach online um however I was working in a center where not everyone had been as you know had the same experience that I had had so I spent a lot of time doing teach training and getting everyone else onto zoom as well um so in that respect in the actual you know I felt quite well prepared in terms of has it cut my uh, I say cut my avenues I feel like um a lot has happened personally in my personal life during the pandemic. And um, I've had a baby, for example. I was pregnant when the pandemic started. And it's all been a lot. <laughs> um, in t I'm just doing everything I can to kind of, I think like everybody, you know, survive, get through everything. I'm learning. Um, but I'm, I'm not pushing myself too hard right now because I think things are, are probably hard enough as it is. <laughs> Yeah, um, I could I could certainly feel for you on the whole the the new baby front. Um, well, I haven't had a new baby for eight years now, um, but I do remember what it was like. I had hair then, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it certainly puts a strain on almost everything, doesn't it? It does. I, I mean, I'm probably I, I'm lucky in that. I mean, she she's my second, and I feel like if it had been my first, it would have been even more tragic really I, there's beautiful things about it I mean like you know we've obviously been um stuck in our homes and um we've had some great family time and the, the kids have had me and my husband around all the time and these are great these are great things you know like and the time that we spent with them that we wouldn't maybe have got if you know the world had continued as it was um and time for reflection and thinking about what it is that we would like but but I won't lie, it's been very hard. Um, you know, no, I'm sure there's many people that can relate. Um, a lack of support systems, you know, there's no one to come and do the babysitting. Um, you just, every day, it's fairly the same. Um, you know, it's it's a mixed bag. Good and I, not so great. <laughs> I think that's one of the big things as well about, you know, teaching abroad or, or going away. And if you start your family while you're, you know, away from your, your own family, it is that... That, that support system that you kind of, you know, you don't necessarily have. I mean, we're, mm -hmm. we're lucky in as much that when my daughter was younger, uh, her, her, my, my wife's mum lives about 40 minutes away. So there was somebody nearby um, that could kind of lend a hand from time to time, but otherwise just like absolutely, you know, nothing. So. Um, yeah. It's, it's been, um, I say, well, I say the learning curve. I mean, it is what it is. And and it's hard to know. It's hard to know, actually, if it's been hard. Because people say when you have a second, um, 
it's like adding like triple the work rather than you know just doubling up on the work and it's really hard to know if it's been so difficult because we because we've had two and this is how is it would be you know if there were not a pandemic happening at this time um or if actually it is the pandemic and it's made it worse and not having extra help so I'll be honest I don't actually <laughs> I don't know if it's this hard all the time for everyone all I know is it's it's been tough um and I think the toughest thing actually although it, for us um not having family around just to have that break is a bit um it's it's you know physically quite hard um I feel awful I don't know how you do I'm sure many people are the same but like um I feel awful for family who haven't been able to enjoy you know the girls and in a you know in very young age and I feel quite guilty really that I live I don't live close by and that they haven't been able to see them and they are missing out on you know key part of their life you know that missed out on my second being a baby nearly completely um, yeah which is quite sad <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't feel guilty about living far away because it's normally sunny here so um it kind of takes the <laughs> I kind of the, the sun kind of burns the guilt away um, when I look at the, the weather where my parents live, um, where it's windy and cold all the time. Um, well, I can hear one of your your younguns in the background. Yeah, what sorry, are your children's names? Oh, I don't apologise. And everything. Oh no, oh, no, no, it's fine. I've got the doors closed and everything. But this is this is the thing about working from home, isn't it? Um, as hard as I try. Um, you never apologise for your children. Um, <laughs> so absolutely I've got, I've not. Got two. I've got two girls. I've got Isla, who's three, and I've got Ria, who is now one. Oh, um, fantastic. And that, that's it. That's where we stop. <laughs> That'll be the end of that. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's the, the four of us living here in our in our little flat. And that's a lovely little segue there with the talk of children to talk about young learners, which is something yeah. we're going to get onto today. Now, I saw you'd uh, you'd posted a. a uh, a poll um, on the IATEFL Young Learners Special Interest Group on Facebook. Um, I think it was that group. I, but yeah, I saw it, it yesterday anyway. Uh, and it was about the topic that we're going to talk about today. Um, obviously preparing uh, fully for the, uh, for the, the, the incredible honour of being on Teachers Talk Radio um, well, with that, that Facebook poll. Having... And there was not having confidence, you know, like suddenly you think, well, I'm going to talk about this. Does anyone else actually agree? And knowing that you've spoken about it in the staff room and things all the time. And then you're like, if I may imagine that, I just want to check. I just want to check that everyone kind of agrees. (laughs) And what I loved was when I went on there and saw it, all the people commenting on it are like, you know, they're. They're important people in the TEFL world. You know, they're they're people that, that we all know who they are. You know, they're all, you know. They're people who have strong opinions, but for, for a reason, they're, they're experts in their field as well. Um, so, yeah, did I imagine you did the CELTA or, or something of that ilk um, did, back yeah. when you were learning how to, to train. How did you feel it prepared you for for teaching? You know, it's hard to remember, and this is—I mean, I am someone who does not have the best of memory, so I'll just throw that out there. Um, I my my long-term memory of the seltzer is how exhausting it was and just like it was quite the roller coaster of emotions but I suppose actually that is actually it sums up teaching I suppose in many ways um it I remember I remember leaving it feeling quite you know wrongly confident actually nice I would say because it prepared me for a certain classroom 
and it prepared me to go into that particular kind of classroom and to start teaching those lessons and I'm, I'm actually very thankful to it and I don't it wasn't taught badly or anything like that there were some great elements in it there I just recently can't help but think that if if people are still kind of doing this CELTA that I did um how how much does it prepare them actually for like EFL today because in even in the last 15 years that we've been teaching in it I feel it's changed a lot um it's becoming more professional it's becoming a lot more focused on young learners and and obviously young learners is not there particularly in the CELTA it 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 can feature it can feature there can often be a session about it um but it's it's just merely a, a little a little side kind of show going on rather than anything you particularly look at. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, one of the, the things about uh, that, you know, the, the CELTA and, and that kind of training side of things is that kind of almost false pretense that you know exactly what you're doing and you're ready for it. You know, think of teachers in, in state schools, in, in other areas that, you know, people go through an awful lot more training than than we do um as as tefl teachers um so you know you can see why it's often looked down upon um from yeah. other areas um but also you mentioned in the last 15 years it's changed i mean in the last 5 years it's changed massively yeah. there was there was always there is always talk you know as a as a materials writer as a content creator about parsnips and things you can't talk about and things you can't write about and you know, you couldn't mm-hmm. talk about inclusive issues or, um, you know, even sustainability in certain areas, but, you know, completely off the cards. We weren't allowed to talk or write about them because they were not politically correct. You know, you couldn't talk about politics and stuff like that. Um, and it just, it just makes it so sterile. And that was what I found. I, I enjoyed it. I, I found it useful, but I found it incredibly sterile and just, I don't know. It, as you say, it prepares you for a type of classroom, just not one you'll ever teach in. Well, I mean, I mean, the thing we've got to remember as well, like they're designed, the, these courses are designed to generally kind of reflect where you do the course as well, for, you know. Um, and so like, if like me, I did my course in uh, Central Europe, and if, and then, <laughs> and then, very quickly headed to places like to Syria and to Vietnam. Um, and obviously it was quite good for Central Europe, um, but it was not so great when I started moving around, um, as well as as well as the fact that there was like a lot of other things like Young Learners wasn't there. Um, one-to-one teaching featured heavily in my, in my initial days of teaching. And that was something I had to get used to quite quickly as well. Um, it's. I don't want to say anything bad about it because I actually, you know, um, I think there's some great trainers out there. I think we all know, like, people who do it and, and how much um, passion they have for it. And we all know that they'll be delivering their courses incredibly well. It's just I can't help but think that there are things missing, um, yeah. you know, particularly for, for 2021 going into 2022. Um, and like you say, like certain subjects that you would never have really taught or like, you know, talk about inclusivity, it's never really been a thing. Whereas now actually being inclusive and you've got to look at things like 
we all have to be prepared. We were all here, obviously, to teach English, and we're here to teach English to the, the people who are in our classroom, whether it be online or in front of us, and, and to be ready to teach whoever is there in front of us. We actually have to have, there's lots of um, skills we have to have. And I know in an initial level, you know, an initial kind of entry qualification, you can't go too deep into certain things but I know for example I never um, I was taught, taught nothing about um, SEND and special educational needs and it came as it came as quite a shock actually the reality of what the job <laughs> actually entails and um, I mean many people argue there's only so far you can go to specialize in certain things but I think I think the qualification the, the, the entry needs to kind of reflect or at least pay like a little nod to the things that are going to feature in our careers, just to make us a bit more prepared and to know what's what's kind of coming our way potentially. Yeah, drawing back to what you said about not being prepared for, you know, it you know, it's tailored to certain needs. I mean, I I did mine in in South America, but then I very shortly after that went over to China, and I wasn't ready to teach sixty seven-year-olds not 67-year-olds a group of 67-year-olds yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. you know so, and suddenly like that it was the first few weeks of it I was just like I was like a rabbit in the headlights and you know I did that thing uh you know that that we as TEFL teachers fight so strongly to deny exists and I just danced around and sang songs like a clown for a couple of weeks because you know that was all I knew what to do I was just like how am I supposed to deal with this situation? I, I don't have this in my training. I'm not ready for this. So it was just like, that's it. I'm just going to dance around and, and be a clown for these kids. Um, and yeah, which, you know, sadly has become part of my routine now, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, to a it's, point, they, I mean, to be fair, it's a, it's a good quality to have. <laughs> um, let's not forget that a good teacher is someone who is liked. I mean, that's a good, to be fair, that's a good foundation. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was certainly, it was definitely useful, um, particularly in those early days. Now, the thing about special needs as well, special needs education, I, you know, it's, it's not something I've, I've ever had any training in at all. It's things that I've had to read up myself, you know, look in certain areas for, and, you know, throughout my 15 years of teaching, even, being able to identify identify certain special needs it's it's really tricky i mean but i remember when i was working in an academy and um it you know suddenly i was i had a class where there were there were four students with with adhd in the class um and all i received was from the, the the parents a note saying their kids had ADHD. That, that was that was everything. That was what I had with this class. Yeah. And there were twelve students in the class, four of whom had ADHD. And it was just like I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't know how to deal with it. So mm. it was all about, you know, it was a learning curve, a learning process. And now I don't think that, you know, there's space in the CELTA, there's, you know, there's space in these entry level yeah. certificates to teach everything about it. But to make you aware yeah. that it's there and and if you come up with this situation, here are some things to read or here are some webinars you can go and watch, which can, you know, help you out to, to kind of start off. I think that's, uh, you know, something that that would certainly help. Definitely. I think we have to be realistic. I mean, obviously, it's it 
it, it can't cover everything. And there are other qualifications. And, you know, teaching is a profession. It's ongoing, continual professional development. You're constantly learning new things. Um, and, and there'll be areas that you may become specialized in and another areas that you don't. And you go and seek colleagues' help who, you know, they know far more than you do. Um, I mean, that is the reality of it. But, yeah, the idea, I kind of would like to see a bit more of a nod to different things. Um, just to prepare everybody. And I think it's about expectations as well when you join the industry and, and understanding, you know, um, a lot of people, for example, I think probably not only do they not expect um, that they would have to make their classroom inclusive, but also maybe they probably think that they're going straight into adult classrooms and once upon a time would have, but nowadays less so, um, <laughs> And they're far more likely to find themselves in front of a group of teenagers and how ready do they feel for that. Um, and just, yeah, making sure that everyone, I say ready, but making sure that um, we give people just enough preparation so that they're not phased by the job when it eventually starts. Because, yeah, you do so often... Um go from your so my shelter and I, I remember my classes I, it, I can remember them really well actually you know the first class I did was about shoes the second one I did was about bridges the third one I did was about the second conditional where I sang a song because I couldn't find one online to play to the class using uh, the second conditional it's from guys and dolls if I were a bell um because it was obviously before Beyonce had come out with If I Were a Boy. If I Were uh, a Boy, yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was before that. So, you know, I had to to be Beyonce myself, which, you know, it's no mean feat. I wasn't, maybe wasn't quite up to Beyonce's standards. But, um, I, you know, I can remember those really clearly. And then, you know, I went off and I taught in, in various uh, you know, businesses. I did a lot of one-to-one -one teaching, which, you know, I wasn't prepared for. Um, and then, yeah, the, the kids' classes. But it's so often when, you know, if someone comes over to Spain or Portugal, for example, they do their CELTA, you know, they have their, their classes with adults, and then, bam, straight into three or four hours of kids' and teen classes. Now, you know, how yeah. do you deal with that situation? Mm. Well, yeah, quite. <laughs> I mean, we can't – there are things – I mean, obviously, there are great things – in, in the entry-level courses that will prepare us for any room. So things like, um, you know, students need to lead. It's about student input and not perhaps the way that we were all, I don't know, for me, I can I talk about how I was in school where there's a lot of, like, uh, talk and chalk <laughs> kind of teaching. Um, it's And you get taught about this, you get taught lesson frameworks, and obviously all of this is applicable. But there isn't a lot about... Um, understanding um, child development and understanding cognitive development. And even actually, even if it were just um, a course um, for adults, we still need to understand that young adults particularly, um, we're looking now like neuroscience can tell us a lot more about how they learn and everything, but like the way that their brains work and everything and how therefore um, they will be learning the language is actually a little bit different to someone who is potentially a bit older. And um, it might seem quite scientific and it might, I think people might argue, oh, you only really have to study things like that, maybe at diploma level. But, you know, it, it's going to make an impact onto whether and um, how successful you are in teaching someone. So 
I think that anything that has kind of that kind of, well, the effect of the ability, can you teach them something really successfully or not? I think you should be looking at even just a little bit, uh, an entry level qualification. And just like putting the food there and if, if you fancy it and you're really interested in the topic, going away and reading more about it. But just kind of laying down a few like ideas and um, a little bit of science and everything else just to um, ease the way a little bit. Yeah, I think that's, you know, as, as we've mentioned a couple of times, you can't have everything. Um, no. There, there isn't enough time to do everything. So, you know, just even a, a brief look or, you know, a nod towards at the very least um, certain things are, you know, they're, they're very important. Um, right, we're going to shoot off very quickly for a news and advert break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but also we're going to look at teacher well-being, which is another aspect um, that, you know, maybe needs um, another nod to. Um, and maybe we'll mention a little bit of differentiation as well, because that was another thing mentioned on your poll. So we're going to shoot off for the news and some adverts. We'll be back in about four minutes. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Ofsted have highlighted the worrying fact that lockdown has resulted in significantly lower levels of social care referrals. According to Robert Halfen, Chairman of the Commons Education Committee, 100,000 ghost children failed to return to school following last year's closures and were at risk of abuse. The Ofsted report states that nearly all children have fallen behind in their education due to COVID-19 and emphasises the importance of attendance for the education and welfare of pupils. Chief Inspector Amanda Spielman called for a proper register of children who aren't attending school. She said there's a whole range of reasons why people are in that category and I don't believe that we really know who those children are, where they're being educated, and who's taking responsibility for it. What's worrying is that we simply don't have a handle. We don't really know who's in that list of children who are particularly vulnerable to abuse and neglect. A report written by 40 academics called The Child of the North has drawn attention to huge inequalities between children who grow up in the north of England and the rest of the country. The report has set out 18 recommendations to tackle the problem, including more investment in welfare, health and social care systems and increasing child benefits by £10 per child. A Department for Education spokesperson said, Our ambitious recovery plan continues to roll out across the country, with £5 billion invested in high-quality tutoring, world-class training for teachers and early years practitioners, additional funding for schools and extending time in colleges by 40 hours a year. We are supporting the most disadvantaged, vulnerable or those with the least time left in education wherever they live, to make up for learning lost during the pandemic. 
This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Goyne. This is to need support with your phonics teaching. Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello and welcome back. Um, had an issue clicking a button there, which is, you know, never an issue here. Um, welcome back there, Lou. Hello. So, um, before the before the break, uh, we talked a little bit about um, what was missing. We we didn't mention differentiation, which was high on the list of things chosen by people on the on the the Facebook poll. Um, mm. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, it's, it's probably because, I mean, as humans, we're all so very different. Um, and obviously, whatever group we're faced with in the classroom, um, we need to understand that everyone in that room is going to learn in a slightly different way, some faster, some slower, um, for whatever reason. Um, and, and we need to have a lot of kind of tools um, a past leave in order to to manage that and I think it's really heavily linked as well to classroom management and and these are the things that I mean they help you to build rapport as well which is incredibly important um, and I think that the things that we see all see as teachers as the more ideas and the more activities and the small ideas that we have for slightly changing our lesson on the spot and everything and making it work for different people in the room um, I mean, obviously, there has to be an element of this as learn on the job. But I would say that um, it would be nice, again, to see a bit more of this in entry-level um, qualifications as a bit of a heads-up. Um, if I'd known, if I'd known about all of this, um, I think I learned about differentiation maybe about two or three years into my teaching. And I remember finding, I remember being quite like, oh, wow, of course, I could just actually, you know, ask the students to do this activity in two different ways and I found it shouldn't be it's a very simple concept but at the, at the same time I I don't know I you you somehow you want to do everything that you're taught on your training course thinking that it's you know the right thing and I think like that really kind of pushing the kind of message a bit more that there is not one right way to do it and that if you've got an activity there's loads of ways you can do it and the kind of you need to kind of read the room and then you've got to change what you and, and if you see how people are reacting, you can make adjustments to it. And also the fact that you know your students and going into the lesson and that you can know before the lesson that potentially um, some people find this particular kind of activity a bit more difficult. They might need a little bit of support in whatever way that is. Um, and it's just, it's the—it's it seems obvious when you talk about it, the understanding that, you know, as humans, we are all different. Um, but... 
stood in front of that class, particularly as a new teacher, you're very much teaching to plan, which is kind of <laughs> goes against differentiation, which I think is why everybody was kind of um, saying how important it was. Because um, I think it's one of the things that goes a long way to making sure that you do um, teach the people in the room, cater for your students and, and give them what they need. Yeah, I think for me, differentiation, it was, you know, it's, again, it's something I've, I continue to learn about as I'm, you know, as I'm growing as a teacher. Um, and at first, I just thought it was, you know, give, give the easy stuff to the kids who can't really do it and give the harder stuff to the kids that could. Whereas, yeah. and I, you know, I kind of missed that whole, it needs to have the same learning outcome. Like that was something that, you know, I just, I didn't really, you know, it didn't occur to me in, in any way, shape or form. It was like, well, you can't do this because it's too hard. So I'll give you something easy. You can do this. It's too easy. So I'll give you something really hard. Um, mm -hmm. And that, But then at the end of the class, you know, I, I was basically teaching two or three different classes and it just yeah. was an absolute nightmare. And for me, this kind of all came to a head when I was, I was working in a private school and my job was, um, Cambridge preparation teacher mm -hmm. um yes it's uh you know it's it sounds strange but yeah so in my secondary class I had students that were first certificate I had students that were um sorry I've just had someone saying some horrible things so I'm going to boot them out of the um the group here I'm trying sorry somebody's coming I'm going to block them out now um Sorry. Uh, yeah, there were some uh, students in there who were, you know, first certificate. They were high-ish le high level students for, for 13, 14-year-olds. But then there were people in there who were, you know, very incredibly low level, A1 level, you know, couldn't really, um, couldn't really speak in English. You know, they, they, they really mm -hmm. struggled. Um, and it was at that point that I had to kind of reassess everything because I was trying to do four classes in one and it was just it was it was it was just it was killing me in the classroom to try and rush around and teach all these different kids and you know the the kids in the middle got nothing you know there was the the kids at the top and the kids at the bottom were getting everything and the kids in the middle were just being given their task and to go on with it so I think that really helped me quite a lot to be honest to to push on and and improve myself in that in that respect yeah, no, I, I really, um, I agree with what you said about, so like the idea that you were like teaching them all different things. Um, I know that, I know that when I like first started really trying to not just teach one lesson for everybody, you know, um, obviously the idea that like I would have, and maybe it was in the beginning, I know that I would do different handouts, for example, and I would spend time on that. Yeah. Um, so um, like I would... So yeah, I know I was like, sorry, I've lost my train of thought there. Um, <laughs> I got, when you have I got when you have so many yeah when you have so many different um, when you have so many different classes and levels at the same time, it's uh, it can yeah it can really mess you up. No, it can do. But I I just I remember I was going in with lots of different handouts and everything, and I think in I think 
I forgot that the the goal that we have is you go into your class with an outcome and an, an objective, yeah? Um, and generally, I don't know what it's like for you, but like for me these days, it tends to be quite task-based. It tends to be quite try to make it as authentic as possible. And, and that should be what you're kind of, well, that's what personally I'm kind of striving for. And I know that when I um, first started using differentiation, I used it I say wrongly um in the sense that I had people like you say reaching different outcomes because I've given them different handouts which led them in different ways which led them to different you know things um and and I was think I was overcomplicating it as well um and I was overcomplicating it I think because I had I'd had very little guidance on it um which is why one of the reasons why I think a lot of us would like to see it in the beginning like people talking about it a bit more talking about the very kind of simple things that you can do to to make sure that everyone's able to move at the same pace so that you don't lose people along the way, whether it be you're doing a listening and you can see one particular student is struggling more than others and having the tape script ready so that you can hand them that while they're doing the check, which will give them, you know, that little bit of extra kind of guidance. And just these small things that we can do, um, because you know what it's like as a teacher, you start learning about something new and and you want to try it out which is great and then um but you can there is like you can go down like a quite a hole with these things and um and and go so far that you got you kind of remove yourself from the actual original goal which was to teach whatever you were intending to teach um so i think i'd like to see differentiation because i'd particularly like to see it to be shown how it can be quite simple and like just the small little tweaks that you will do to your lesson, whether it's, you know, some students are going to work on their own and for others who you feel need that bit of support are going to work with a partner, um, whatever it might be. But just the idea that it's okay while you're doing an activity to kind of run it slightly differently for different people, but that you're going in the same direction and you're all going towards the same goal. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it is that that idea uh, of kind of focusing, yeah, the attention on on the same thing and and not on all these different ideas. And and yeah, I wish I'd had that you know pointed out from the early days because that whole five six worksheet thing was just you know it was it was my nightmare. Um, and 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 but it it was it was a real nightmare. It was a real thing. Um, you know, there was something that I would would come across quite often, and that links quite nicely to teacher mm-hmm. well being, which is something I'd like to, yeah, to speak about for the last out. little while. Yeah, because that that for me was, you know, it, it was absolutely killing me, and it would, I'd come home every day, and my wife would just be like, "What happened to you today?" And it's like, "Oh, my last class was second of secondary, and it's just horrible." Um, mm-hmm. And I stopped focusing on myself in any way, shape, or form. Like I just, I just didn't look at you know myself, and I was just yeah. burning myself out. Now I know that um, Tom, who was in earlier, is, is quite an, an expert on this, um, uh, and it's something we just kind of forget about with teachers. I think um, we just expect them to to go on with their job, um, and something I really don't like is oh yes you know so we've got this long weekend here in Spain at the moment and people are saying oh you know there you go you've got five days you can recharge like you surely you shouldn't have to recharge 
you shouldn't be working in a job that means that you need a five day weekend to recharge your batteries. You know, you should surely you should be able to recharge at night when you go to sleep and then wake up and go to school the next day and you should be fully recharged. What do you think? No, I, yeah, I mean, you should be, I think I'm going to say it's over, it's overly simplistic. It, it, like I know for someone like me, um, and um, it's always going to be, I'm always going to get a bit quite tired because actually I'm a natural, I'm confident and I like speaking, but I'm actually a natural introvert and um, I don't get my energy from other people. And when I'm in the classroom, I do have a teacher persona and someone that I have to turn into. And it is, it's very exhausting becoming that person, but that is the person that needs to be in the room and that's the person who, and it helps me it does help me like a bit of a performance, like teach my classes. So, I mean, I I do agree with you that we shouldn't be so exhausted. And I think there are things that are, are missing from like our kind of, um, not missing from our skill set, but there are other things that we need to be taught as teachers, other things that we need to be guided on um, to, to help us to, to, to manage the work actually, and to know when to say, no, that's enough now. Um, I think obviously, again, we've said it before, we're different. Everyone is different. So like I kind of accept that I'm in a job that is um, if maybe if I were more of an extrovert, I'd be getting a lot more energy from the room and it'd be, you know, I'd be going home not as tired. Um, So I accept that my personality and me has a lot to do with it. But at the same time, yes, I shouldn't be as tired as I am and shouldn't be worrying about, you know, um, did I say the right thing have they gone home upset um did I manage this the right way and everything and and I mean a lot of this comes from the fact that um and I'm going to tie it back to like entry level initial qualifications a lot of it is on like how to teach um English and and obviously that makes complete sense given that we are um ELT um ELT teachers but I would say like any teacher kind of entry level qualification really nowadays needs to start looking at why teachers leave the profession why teachers get burnout and including in there like other kinds of um, training particularly like along like soft skills um like active listening and things like this and resilience and and I know we can't put everything into these training courses but I do think we have to go some way to tackling why people end up burnt out right from the start well, yeah, teachers are leaving, you know, almost instantly. Now, I, I know it's not quite the same in ELT. I know there's – I don't want to say it's easier in ELT because it definitely isn't easier, but it's certainly different, yes. um, particularly, you know, with, with smaller classes, um, often as well with when it comes to the students, if, if you're not in like a, a school situation, if you're in a, in a learning, in an academy situation or a language school situation, you know, often the, the students, well, oh, this sounds really horrible, but they're tired from school. Mm-hmm. So they come into your class and, you know, it can be a bit <laughs> of a drag, but, but exactly, yeah, they're, they're not as, they don't have the energy that they've had all day, you know, they've, yeah. they don't have that they don't have that comfort as well of being in the same class that they've been in for years and years or, mm-hmm. you know, having teachers they've known for years and years. And there is that kind of quick rotation. So I know I've found from working in um, in academies and such, the thing that tires me the most is the fact that it is after school and it is 
late night stuff. You know, you're working till 10 o'clock at night, which just isn't very nice. Um, you know, get, getting home at, at half past 10, 11 o'clock at night, it's, it's just not a nice thing to do. Um, yeah. So for me, that was was kind of awful. And uh, and I'd find myself wasting days because I'd be, you know, waiting till four o'clock when I started teaching. Um, whereas when I started teaching in the day and started teaching in schools, while I'd come home exhausted, I'd still have the evening with my family. So, you know, there was that kind of bonus on that side of things. Um, but it was exhausting. And the pressure that's put on teachers, um, I know here in Spain, I'm not sure what it's like in Portugal, but mm-hmm. and I know in England it's, it's becoming this way now as well, the, like the obsession with results, um, with exams, is just obscene here in Spain. I mean, my... My daughter's eight and she's, I don't know, she's probably done about 15 exams already this year. Um, and she's got more coming up next week, this week. She's got, you know, we've had off till today. She goes back tomorrow and she has an exam. You know, so they're expecting the, the kids to study over the long weekend. You know, they send stuff to study. Um, and now it's not revise. This is what really upsets me about um, the system here. It's not you go home and you revise what you've learned. You go home and you study. So you go home and you learn new stuff to go in and do an exam at school. Now, that it shouldn't be like that, you know. No. So this is burnout on the kids as well. No, absolutely. You know, and, and exam pressure, it, I mean, it's awful for everybody because I think, I mean, this is like one of the skills that you need to be able to have as a teacher, this kind of, you need to have a lot of kind of, build up a lot of confidence in yourself that you've done a good job, especially if, you, I mean, you might be worried that you're going to be um, kind of judged on how well your students do, um, which, I mean, some people say, oh, well, that's fair. But actually, <laughs> I mean, we all know, like, I'm I'm not a particularly good exam taker, for example. So I wouldn't want anyone putting any, any money on me doing particularly well all the time. But um, it's it's just not very healthy. And it's just, it's not how the world actually works, which makes I find it a little bit baffling actually how much we are going down this big route of like test 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 when this isn't what the real world is like I mean yes there are tests in our days there are like you know challenges and things to overcome but it is not like the way that it the children have to do at school at all well, no there's there's no there's no exams I'm sorry like in life <laughs> there are no like you know and, and that's the funny thing about you know becoming a teacher here in Spain if you want to work in the government schools you have to do the like the the oposiciones which are the, the the government exams so you get a position in your school and you basically have a job for life um so you have people studying from you know the age of well from the age of three when they go to school here to the age of 27, 28, 29, when they're mm-hmm. still studying to do this exam, to get this job that they've wanted their, their whole life. And then at 29, they've been studying all this time. They get their position. They get their job as a teacher. They've had, you know, they've, they've had no training for it. They've just done an exam, you know, this exam. Mm-hmm. And then after that exam, they can have their first year of like training. And, you know, you've done all of this and what if you get to that stage, you've done all these exams, you're really good at exams, you love these exams because you do them all the time. So suddenly your natural reaction as a teacher is to do give exams to your kids. But how many more exams are you ever going to do? And and what if you actually hate the job? But yeah, in life, after you finish your your university career, unless you choose to do an exam, now I chose to do my 
my Spanish um, B2 and C1 exam because mm -hmm. I wanted to. Um, but otherwise, you know, what exams are you going to have to do unless you choose to do them yourself? There are none. You know, oh, I've, I've got a job in the bank. Excellent. Yeah, every Friday we have a, a pop quiz. You know, it doesn't happen. No, I no, I agree, and uh, I think like the well, the anxiety around exams is exhausting and exhausting for everybody, and it removes as well. I think um, the joy of the job of teaching. I mean, if you're constantly testing, which is obviously not teaching, um, you'll lose a lot of kind of the reward. Um, so maybe that's another reason why people feel. I say burnt out, but like, yeah, burnt out and demotivated and that, you know, they worry, uh, not worry, but they, they kind of lose their desire to continue in the job. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, um, I know that for a fact that in the, in the UK that teachers are, I don't want to say dropping like flies because it's not exactly dropping like flies, but I know there's you know a lot of people stopping early on in their, their teaching career because it is just too much. And, you know, people go on, oh, teachers have too long, teachers have too much, too many holidays. But it is the thing that, you know, we need it. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to work, you know, five days a week in those conditions. Um, it's nonstop as well. And this, and this kind of, culture of not ever being allowed to get sick is something that really um you know it puts pressure on you and it's your colleagues at work as well that do it because you know if you're sick suddenly someone else at work has to cover your classes so you have people going in you know really really ill for, for work now this is one thing good to come out of the pandemic is people yeah. aren't allowed to go into work if they're sick you know yeah. people are told do not come into work if you're sick go and have a test so you know, hopefully that will have a knock-on effect and people don't, you know, kill themselves to get into work. You know, I had a, an old colleague who would come into work. He had the flu and he came and he's like, oh, man, I'm dying. I can't. It's like, well, why didn't you stay at home then, you yeah. idiot? Yeah, no. No, I agree with you on that. I think, if anything, it's taught us to look after ourselves a bit more and to actually, you know, and to think about our own well-being. Um, and that is a good thing um definitely moving forward you know um I mean I I found I found the last 18 months really really tough so I'm Im I'm imagining others have too <laughs> at least I I feel like at least if I've I don't know um I can empathize a little bit um it's been it's been really hard and if I think about like um like how I say how to prevent it and things I feel like I'm, I'm a bit I'm, I'm lucky that I'm actually quite a few years into my career I feel like that's a good thing because that helps me with a little bit of perspective I think if I'd been fairly new into teaching and the pandemic had hit and we went online and there was so much to learn and and so much change all the time I think probably things may have been different but um I could relax a bit more and I was lucky to have a bit more experience that kind of um steadied me for it all um but I mean teacher burnout in general I worry I worry that I worry that so much focus is on like you say um teaching English and then they're supposed to seeing that in tests and everything like this that we don't actually um look at like supporting teachers with all of this 
kind of skills that they need. I know I said it before with like resilience, for example, or like kind of understanding where the boundaries of the job are and when it's okay to take a step back. And, you know, because it's really difficult, like you said, when you're working with people to to say no and because you care. And it's really difficult to say, oh, I don't have the energy for this today because it's, it's a person there that you're working with. And I think looking at, if we're looking at training and we're talking about teacher burnout, we need to look at kind of equipping teachers a lot more with this kind of the communication skills, the social skills. The, I don't think they're all meant to be done, by the way, at entry level, but like during your career. And it's an area that we really need to talk about more and um, kind of look at developing and probably not just for teachers I mean if we're looking at the uh, pandemic I imagine we could probably say exactly the same for like doctors and nurses and many other professions as well um, but like it, it worries me um, moving forward this, this teacher burnout it worries me it worries me that it's acceptable that so many people can get so exhausted and walk away from something and that no one thinks that maybe we should actually look at this and tackle this problem. Yeah, I, and I, I see what you mean about, you know, teachers as well, um, doctors as well, sorry, and and nurses and so on. But I think also students, um, yes. something we completely ignore is is the, the kind of, well, no, we don't. Obviously, we're amazing. We never ignore these kind <laughs> of things. In general, the profession ignores um, student well-being. I'm going to pop away for a quick advert and then when we come back for the last five minutes or so I was wondering if I might be able to ask you a little quick fire quiz. No, go for it. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> there's nothing There's nothing bad in there. It's uh, No, I'm more worried that I'm indecisive but go for oh, it. <laughs> well, you're not going to be able to be. Um, so we're going to pop away for the adverts. We'll be back in about a minute um, to, to find out a little more about Lou. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. There we go. We are back. Um, so I mentioned just before we shut off there, I'm going to give you a, 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 little, a little quick fire quiz just to find out a little more about you. Um, mm -hmm. So when you're not working, how do you spend your time? Oh, mainly with the children right now, if I'm being honest. Um, with the children, but also um, um, doing up the house. Uh, we bought a house last year, our first ever house. So um, going around little antique shops and like looking for old furniture and things, buying that and spending time painting. <laughs> oh, excellent. Um, what's your favourite word? Oh, supercilious. Oh, nice. Very good. Um, it sounds nice as well. Um, no, I like the sound. That's it. That's oh, okay. <laughs> what was your first job? Oh, working in a fairground. Um, 
which I probably wouldn't be allowed to do these days. Back when I was about 12, 13, I used to uh, man one of the rides. It was a simple switch on and off thing, but I'm not sure 13-year-olds can do that now. Hang on a minute. You were in charge of the rides at the fair? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not sure 13-year-olds can do that I these days. definitely um, don't yeah. think they're allowed to anymore. <laughs> but yeah, back, 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 way back when. that was. You must be thing. 18 to control this switch. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Um, which is your most common emoji? I'll probably thumbs up. It's really boring, but just it, I don't have much time, and I just want people to know. Yeah, I agree, or yeah, I've read what you said. Okay, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, if you could win an Olympic medal for any sport, real or fake, what would it be? Oh, I don't know. I would have liked to have won a medal for I used to swim as a teenager competitively but I was never good enough to win an Olympic medal but it would have been nice to um I look at like Adam Peaty and I just think wow that would be great could have been me could have been me (laughs) not really I tried and I I didn't manage it but it would have been nice um what is your hidden talent Oh, I'm not sure. Organising, actually. There you go. I'm I'm not sure it's that hidden because it comes out a lot in my job, but organising. I'm a great (laughs) organiser. So if you need anything sorting, get in touch. (laughs) That's excellent. That's uh, Oh, we've heard uh, Golbon is listening in from Iran. Uh, So hi there, Golbon. Nice uh, nice of you to join us. Nice. Um, We're just... uh, Here we go. If you had to eat one meal going forward for the rest of your life, what would you eat? Oh, um, aglio, aglio, peperoncino, pasta. So uh, garlic with oil and chilli. Ah, so here's another question. Now, something you mentioned earlier. Uh, what, which languages do you speak? So I, I speak, obviously I speak English. Um, I speak Italian and French quite well. That's what I said at university. I understand Spanish, but my speaking of it is not that good. And I'm learning... Portuguese and my Slovak got to yeah kind of level okay kind of level like very basic <laughs> I'm uh I'm trying to learn Portuguese as well um well, I'm, I'm using Duolingo so you know it's been 147 days now um how's it going I'm, well I I understand it on the app and I'm really good at the app but <laughs> Brazilian Portuguese is very different to Portuguese Portuguese so much easier now <laughs> I don't want to sound mean but Portuguese sounds a bit like people speaking bad Spanish with a Russian accent yeah I was gonna say it sounds quite Russian doesn't it yeah it sounds um, so and live, Russian and I live in the north where it's even more I mean what I do like about it and what I can kind of understand about the language is they cut all the vowels and I'm from um Bradford so actually I'm used to cutting vowels um, but doing that while learning the language is, is a tricky thing. <laughs> I do love all of the contractions there are in there. Um, you know, you know, he is from here. Um, you know, instead of like he, so instead of like, it's like saying from here instead of from mm-hmm. here. I, I really like it. Um, so yeah, looking at those contractions is what I'm finding uh, the most. Uh, I just find it weird that names have articles. Because yeah. all the all the kind of Latin languages I've learned, a name is a name. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you don't have an article before it. So like there's 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 things that like I thought I'd, I wrongly thought that my background, um, you know, with French and things would prepare me. And it does to a point, don't get me wrong, but not completely. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, the, the Spanish that I know really helps with a lot of the structures, but then it really confuses me with a lot of other things. And I'm just like, that. how is that a thing? Um, but yeah. Um, so one more thing. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, um, I actually don't know that. Um, I don't know if anyone ever gave it, but the, I can say the piece, the piece of advice I'd give that I've learned, and I don't know if someone's told me or what, but it's just to, to actually listen to people, like actively listen. I was rubbish at it when I was younger. It wasn't something that came naturally, um, but I've trained myself as I've got older, and I've found, like, if you really listen to someone, things you can always work things out. Absolutely. I like this piece of advice I found uh, recently. Start before you're ready. Um, I quite like that. Um, you know. No, just... that's good. I'm not good at that. <laughs> no, um, I, I've I found recently with the the training course I'm preparing and the the book proposal that I've I've just um, got finished that, you know. I had to make sure I told people I was doing it till I actually did it. Um, so, yeah, starting before you're ready is a good one. Well, then, it has been a pleasure. Um, we're coming up to the end. Um, are there any final thoughts? Um, a very Jerry Springer thing to say there. Final thoughts. I, I, just, I just hope that as we, you know, we move forward with teaching that we start to see um, – we just start to see a bit more, particularly in entry level, but in all kind of training to help teachers to avoid to avoid burnout and to and and just to manage what it's like working with people day in day out. And that like you say, not always on the best shifts and everything else, and um, preparing us for that because these are skills that quite often it's assumed we'll just pick up in the trade and. Um, and some of us do, and we pick up some and not others, but it would be nice to see more focus on it in general. Well, brilliant. Well, thank you very much. It is the end of the show. We'll be back next week with a Christmas special. Um, so tune in next week if you want loads of Christmas ideas for your classrooms. Um, thank you so much for joining us. It's been lovely. Um, and as I say, we'll be back next week. We'll see you then. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.